is Parada, where we take just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. I'm Dan Permack. On today's show, coronavirus in the U.S., and Goldman Sachs takes a baby step in the right direction on board diversity. But first, the green swan. Business and political leaders today are hopping planes back from Davos, Switzerland, where they spent the past week networking and talking about global ills at the annual World Economic Forum. A major topic of conversation was climate change and what global corporations can do to minimize or even reverse its effects. A new study by High Lantern Group shows that climate generated the highest degree of public pressure on corporations by activists, policymakers, and journalists last year. And the World Economic Forum responded by making climate the major focus of its programming. But it's unclear if the conversations had there and even some of the high-profile decarbonization pledges are really significant or mostly half measures designed to stave off criticism without making fundamental, meaningful change, or as some derisively call it, greenwashing. The question, as always with the World Economic Forum, is if what happens in Davos stays in Davos or if it can affect real change back home. In 15 seconds, we'll go deeper with Axios World Editor David Lawler calling in from Switzerland. But first, this. Axios Chief Technology Correspondent Ina Fried shares breaking news and analysis on the most consequential companies and players in tech, from the Valley to D.C. Subscribe to get smarter faster at signup.axios.com. And now, back to the ProRata Podcast. We're joined now by Axios World Editor David Lawler. So, Dave, let's just start here with general mood. The official theme is climate change. That is not a positive, uplifting topic. But what is your sense of the crowd in Davos? Right. So I arrived here expecting a pessimistic outlook. The IMF had just revised growth rates down for global growth, which obviously is something that the Davos set worries about. You had climate change as the main theme of this week's programming. That's not a particularly uplifting topic most of the time. But actually, what I found was business executives are pretty happy with where things are on trade. Unsurprisingly, after you had the phase one deal with China, you had the Trump's NAFTA replacement come through. They kind of think that the growth for their companies looks pretty healthy. The stock market is doing well. And they had a great opportunity to brand themselves around the climate theme of the week. Basically, my inbox is full of companies who want me to write about how they're helping to save the planet. And so people clearly saw this as an opportunity for them to say, we're forward-looking, we care about this. And you would see, if you walk around Davos, you'd see banners from you know banks and investment companies saying, look how green we are, basically. Is the sense you get there, maybe this is because you guys are literally surrounded by mountains right now, but everyone has internet access. Are you getting any sense that they are hearing some of this so-called kind of greenwashing criticism that what a lot of these corporations and banks, et cetera, are doing is kind of band-aid salves for climate change, not significant fundamental change? Yeah, so I asked a couple people about that. Basically, you know, how much of this is a PR exercise and how much of this is a real commitment? And it, it varied. I don't know if people are hearing the criticism now. It probably filtered in here over the course of the week. But earlier in the week, a couple of people we spoke to admitted, look, we feel like we have to have a good message on this issue. Even if we're not necessarily going to change the global equation on carbon, we have to look like we're taking this seriously. And so there is certainly a PR element to this. So I moderated a panel yesterday with people in the insurance industry, and they said, you know, for us, this is not a hypothetical, this is not a branding thing. You know, climate change is something we have to take seriously, and there are real dollars and cents going along with this issue. So I suppose it depends, but certainly people were taking advantage of the PR boost. 
Tell me I'm wrong about this. It seems that Trump and Steve Mnuchin and, and other members of the administration got a fairly positive, warm reception there, maybe in part because of some of the things you talked about at the beginning, some trade deals coming through, you know, booming U.S. stock market, et cetera. How do we reconcile that with the fact that Trump is also a, a quasi climate change denier, certainly not somebody who is encouraging of helping? He's obviously insulted Greta Thunberg while he was there. How do you reconcile those two things? Yeah, so if you're somebody who wants to point out the hypocrisy here at Davos, this was a good week to do it. You know, the two stars of the show, basically, the the headliners were Greta Thunberg and Trump. She was the figure that the World Economic Forum wanted to put front and center because it was a climate change week, because she has star power, obviously, and because they could say, look, we're bringing a moral voice with us to the mountains here. But like you said, Trump is a relatively popular guy among a lot of people in Davos. They think that his agenda of cutting regulations is great. They're worried about the idea of a Bernie or a Warren in. I will say there aren't too many climate change skeptics here. Most executives and most other world leaders acknowledge that this is a real problem. But obviously, it's not a big enough problem that they're willing to shun our commander in chief. Change topics a little bit. The big theme or message that came out of Davos last year was around income and wealth inequality. And specifically, there was a speech that was given by an economist there about it where he really chided the audience. That economist was not invited back this year. Was wealth and income inequality a significant topic this year? Was that largely ignored? In the official agenda, it sort of shifted to climate change as the main topic. I will say last year, Davos kind of coincided with the AOC factor. Her phenomenon was just sort of emerging. And so there were lots of people thinking the Democratic Party is going in this direction. Trump is pretty unpopular. Boy, there's going to be a reckoning around these issues coming up. And so we did speak to people who said we have to get ahead of this inequality issue because otherwise we're going to be screwed, basically. I'm not sure they have gotten ahead of it. I don't think the picture has changed that dramatically. Maybe it's the fact that Trump's reelection prospects look better. I don't know what it is. But yeah, I certainly the conversations I had were less about inequality this year, more about climate change and really more about the fact that people felt okay with where they were going into 2020. Give me the one thing you've done this week in Davos that you can only do in Davos. I went to a dinner at a hotel in Davos that was hosted by a Ukrainian oligarch, and the topic was whether governments should aim to make their people happy. So this guy basically brought in a lot of the world's foremost experts on, you know, psychologists, people who study this stuff to have sit around and have a debate over some really nice red wine and steak. So that felt like a pretty Davos experience to me. Thank you to Axios World Editor Dave Lawler. My final two, right after this. There is more news out there than ever before, but these days, it's harder than ever to find it and to know what to trust. Axios AM takes the effort out of getting smart by synthesizing the 10 stories that will drive the day and telling you why they matter. Subscribe at signup.axios.com. And now, back to the ProRata Podcast. Now it's time for my final two. And first up is the coronavirus, with more than 570 confirmed cases now in China. The latest news this morning is that several major tourist sites across the country plan to close, including Shanghai Disneyland, with around 35 million Chinese residents effectively quarantined by travel bans just ahead of what's supposed to be the country's busiest travel season, the Lunar New Year. As one Chinese woman whose father may have contracted the virus told the New York Times, quote, today should be the Chinese people's happiest day, but this sickness has destroyed that feeling. And also, it is slowly beginning to become an issue here in the U.S., as this morning we got our second confirmed case. The first had been a man in Washington State. This one's a woman in Chicago. We'll go deeper on this in our next episode, when our guest will be former Obama Ebola czar Ron Klain. 
And finally, Goldman Sachs yesterday announced that it will no longer help take North American or European companies public if they don't have at least one, quote, diverse board member. Or put in layman's terms, the companies must have at least one director who isn't a straight white man. To be sure, this is a positive development. Studies have shown that board diversity correlates to improved company performance, and there are all sorts of socioeconomic reasons to want more women and racial minorities on corporate boards. But it's also not worth patting Goldman too hard on the back. First, all California companies already would be required by state law to have at least one woman director by year end. And California companies are a big, big percentage of the companies that go public because of Silicon Valley. Second, Goldman didn't preemptively reach out to its Wall Street peers to get their buy-in, something that would have been much more impactful. The bottom line, very good on Goldman, but it could have been even better. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Tim Shovers and Naomi Shaven, have a great National Beer Can Appreciation Day. And we'll be back on Monday with another Pro Rata Podcast.